0: I've uh, got a real simple, basic, kindergarten foundational message to share with you this evening. We want to start in verse 12. This is the last week of Jesus' life and ministry here on the earth. Uh, He has just previously come in um, into Jerusalem as we know it. We call it Palm Sunday. Everybody's singing Hosannas to the son of David, which means that they recognized that he was the Messiah, or at least they they were proclaiming him as the Messiah. And Jesus does some things in town, and then he leaves town for a bit to go to Bethany, a town that was close by. So we'll pick up in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. He's returning back to Jerusalem by way of, or from Bethany. And seeing the fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. That's a little uh, confusing to us in the English translation, but it simply means that when the fig trees produced leaves, it was a sign that there was supposed to be fruit. I've got a peach tree in my backyard, and it works the same way. It, um, right now, it's got purple blooms and blossoms on it, and it uh, produces fruit the same time that it does leaves. So the leaves are supposed to be a sign of fruitfulness but that wasn't the case with this tree and Jesus answered and said unto it no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever and his disciples heard it I want you to notice the word answered Jesus is hungry he sees a fig tree and from uh, from a distance it looks like that's going to meet his needs or satisfy his hunger but he gets up close to it and realizes that it's a tree that's not operating the way that it should there's leaves but no fruit He's found an unfruitful circumstance. He's face-to-face with an unfruitful circumstance. And it says he answered. I think that's instru- instructive for us. We need to be ready to answer things in certain situations. I don't believe there's any indication, or there is no indication, that he had some kind of pre-knowledge or foreknowledge about this situation. So I think he's handling it as it approaches, or as it appears. And Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Skip down with me now to verse 20. Verse 20. We'll start again in verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. He says, look at the fig tree and the other trees. When you see certain things, you'll know that the time is short. Well, the fig tree is always used throughout scripture as a, uh, an illustration or a picture of Israel. And so where Jesus curses the fig tree, it's prophetic. He's cursing the fruitfulness, or the lack of fruitfulness, of the law. And he's putting an end to it once and for all, and it says, it'll not, it won't work anymore from this time forward. And of course, we know the reason for that is because he went to the cross and paid the price for man's sin to redeem' man's sin, man to redeem man from sin. And so the victory represents Israel. But notice that Jesus responds to his disciples when they bring it to his attention. The reason I'm saying this is this is a picture of Israel, but it's not the only thing that it means. Because if this was just to show his, um, well, his revelation, his revealing about Israel from the time past, and how things are going to be different, if that was all it was, then he would have stopped and explained to his disciples, yeah, this picture is a picture of Israel, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen next, and then I'm going to go to the cross, and so forth. But when Jesus answers the disciples, he shows us that this this picture that represents Israel also represents other things for us. His disciples uh, Peter called to remember and said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. There's no question being asked. Peter's just drawing it to his attention. And Jesus' response tells us that you and I, anybody, can use the word of God and change unfruitful circumstances in their life, just like he dealt with one in his. Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Now, a better translation of that is have, faith of, have the faith of God. That word in is not really the, 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 the word in. Is, uh, it should be translated according to most uh, uh, commentators. It should be translated of rather than in. So he says have the faith of God. Several commentators speak of that as having the God kind of faith. Well, if you have the faith of God, there wouldn't be any other kind other than the God kind, would it? I mean, what kind of faith does God have if not the God kind of faith? So he's telling man, he's telling Peter, he left a record for us, that we can and should use this thing called faith to change circumstances in our lives. So he says, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. There are conditions, but the end result is if you qualify according to the criteria he sets forth, you can change circumstances in your life. Now this is what Jesus has just done. He's cursed the fig tree and now he's telling his disciples and telling us too The principles that we can change and overcome Unfruitful circumstances in our lives Now when sickness and disease attacks our body That's an unfruitful unfruitful circumstance The Bible speaks of divine health The Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses And with his stripes we're healed so any sickness and any disease that attacks our body would fall into this category where Jesus used the same kind of faith he said we can and should use to change the situation. When you face lack, financial lack, poverty, or deprivation in any, any uh, material or financial thing, that's an unfruitful circumstance that you can use your faith to change. So he says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now I want you to notice, Jesus says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. He's showing us what the God kind of faith is. He says, Whosoever shall speak or say unto this mountain. First thing we see about faith that Jesus identifies is that it's released in words, it's released in words. You could have a heart full of faith, but if you don't speak, that heart full of faith won't produce anything. We see this in, um, uh, in operation in Acts chapter 14, where Peter is, uh, where Paul, rather, is in a certain town in the region of Galatia, and he gets a crippled man healed. It says Paul preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, and Paul perceived that he had faith to be healed. The man is sitting there, crippled with faith to be healed. See, it's not enough just to get faith. It's not enough just to have faith. You have got to know how to use it. It's just like money. You can have a bank full of bank account full of money, but it won't do you any good unless you access it and use it, put it in circulation. So when Jesus says, whosoever shall say, he's telling us, anybody can operate this. Anybody can operate this. In other words, when he says, have the God kind of faith, he's telling us that we can produce the same results that God did using the same principles of faith. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we ought to start creating universes. That's pretty silly. But he's saying that we can change things just like he changed things here on the earth. Now I want you to look with me a couple other scriptures. Look with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1 just to get the context. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, or determine by experience, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. I want you to see that. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. I'm going to read to you from a, a verse of Scripture real quick. You don't have to turn if you don't want to. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may de- be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Now, some people will take these verses and verses like this And say, well, see here, the Bible's full of contradictions. It says in Romans 12, 3, that God deals to every man the measure of faith. And it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2, that not all men have faith. So what's he talking about? Well, when he's talking about being delivered from unreasonable, wicked and unreasonable men, he's talking about the world. He's saying not everybody in the world has faith. Obviously not. But he says, God has dealt to every man among you, among the church at Rome and every other church the measure of faith now let's look at a couple other scriptures to confirm that look with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 Ephesians 2 8 says for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God Not of works, lest any man should boast. I want you to notice he says that it's a gift of God. He's talking about salvation, of course, is the gift of God. But faith is also a gift. If God deals to every man that comes into the family of God, the measure of faith, then that would have to be a gift too, wouldn't it? We know that Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say that if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead... We shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness." Romans 10:10 10, 10 goes on to say, "For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession is made unto salvation. It goes on in that passage in verse 17. It says, "So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So I want you to realize the supernatural aspect of the Word of God. When we hear something salvation is the example that he uses and it certainly works there but it works in every other area too when we hear the word of god preached that faith that word of god produces supernaturally produces faith in the hearts of the hearers you don't have to work to get it you don't have to pray to have it hearing the word produces the god kind of faith Now we know there are things that the Bible says, Paul and and other writers of the New Testament too, even Jesus said some of these things when he was here on the earth. We know that the Bible tells us that faith is measurable. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and says their faith was growing exceedingly. Jesus talked about weak faith and strong faith. He talked about little faith and great faith. It says in Acts chapter 6 that Stephen was a man full of faith. Well, if he was full of faith, then that would mean somebody could be half full of faith then, doesn't it? Or a quarter full of faith. The Bible speaks over and over and over again about faith in different measures. And since it talks about faith in different measures, then faith would have to be measurable. Wouldn't it? I think some people are like the one talent guy... They take the faith that that is uh, gained by hearing Jesus going to the cross, hearing of Jesus paying the price for us on the cross, and then take their faith and wrap it in the napkin and bury it. Because that's as far as they ever go as far as concerning the things of faith or concerning the use of their faith. But the Bible talks about growing faith. The Bible talks about strong faith. The Bible tells us, indicates to us that we can grow in faith. And we should. We certainly should. Now turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is talking about those who minister the gospel and brings the gospel to to, uh, the Corinthians as well as others. Notice what he said in verse 13. 2 Corinthians 4.13. He said, we having the same spirit of faith we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written I believed and therefore have I spoken we also believe and therefore speak notice that phrase the same spirit of faith and then Paul goes on to tell us what that same spirit of faith does even Jesus said if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed you would say to the the mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and it would obey you again it's showing us the principle of faith which is received by hearing the word of God put in action through words. Put in action through confessions. Now, Paul writes to the to the Hebrews, and he talks about holding fast the profession of our faith. Now, what is he talking about? Is he saying to the Jews, you need to make sure that you hold fast to the confession that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Well, I'm sure it includes that. But is that the only Confession that he means for us to hold fast to? He tells us to hold fast to our profession of faith because God is faithful who promised. Well, he can't be just talking about salvation or forgiveness of sins in that context, then, can he? Because it's not holding fast the profession of faith, your faith that gets you into the family of God. When we hear about Jesus paying the price for us on the cross, receive that truth. And confess Jesus as our Lord, immediately He changes us. Immediately, we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, He's a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. One of those things that become new is the deposit of faith in our hearts, in our spirits. Now, as we often do, I want you to go back to the book of beginnings, go back to Genesis, and remember what God did when He established the earth. He created everything about the world, looked at it, everything was good, then he made man. And after he made man, he said it was very good. Now in Genesis 1.26, it tells us the purpose that he had for mankind. And God said, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over all the earth and over all the work of our hands. Chapter 2 goes on to tell us that when God fashioned the world, he came, when it came time to make man, he formed man from the dust of the ground and then breathed into him and he became a living soul. Now the first chapter of, of Genesis shows us in 10 different specific situations concerning the creation, it says, and God said, and then it was, whatever it was he said. 10 times it shows us That God created the world and different aspects and different characteristics of the world with his words. So when God says, let us make man in our own image an exact duplicate and copy. Let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion over the earth. The reason those 10 things are given to us in the the chapter 1 of Genesis is not just so that we would know how God operated, but so that there would be a pattern set for how Adam was supposed to operate in the world now that he's been placed in the middle of it and given authority over it. He's supposed to govern the world with his words. Now think about when God breathed into him and he became a living soul. Everything about him was God. Everything within him was God. God breathed himself into him and so that means every spiritual force that we have any record of or inclination of or that the Bible tells us about concerning God every spiritual characteristic is of God he's got the God kind of love on the inside of him he's got the God kind of faith on the inside of it. he's got the wisdom of God on the inside of him because that's all he knows and before the fall Adam was operating just as God did as an exact duplicate or copy in kind I think about things like that and uh, and it, it floors me that he fell. What in the world was he looking for? What in the world was the temptation? He's operating as God, sole ruler over the earth. Well, what happens to us at the new birth? We quoted a minute ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, but I want to say it again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. One translation says he's a new species of being. Old things are passed away. Now, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament prophecies of both Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it tells us that God's plan, he reveals to the prophets that his plan was to recreate man, recreate his spirit, make him a new spirit being, and then put his spirit, God put it in his own spirit, in our spirits. Well then if that's what happens, thank God it does, but if that's what happens, then if God fulfills his original plan and purpose, then that means everything that is in us, all the things that have become new, are those same spiritual characteristics. We have in us a deposit of the God kind of faith, the God kind of love, the God kind of peace, the the God kind of joy. All of those things in Galatians 5.22 that talk about the fruit of the Spirit, all those things are new characteristics that are of God that are placed on the inside of us. Now let me prove this to you. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, well, we'll start in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience. And patience works experience and experience works hope and hope notice verse 5 and hope makes not a shame because the, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us I want you to notice that notice the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts it takes place by the Holy Ghost who is given to us well when is the Holy Ghost given to us? when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives Amen. that's when God's presence comes in and dwells within us and every characteristic of God becomes a deposit or we'll say it this way there's a measure of every characteristic of God that's placed on the inside of us and deposited on the inside of us into the new birth every one of us it's the measure of faith that Romans 12 talks about it's the peace of God that the bible tells us of it's joy Peter talked about things, believing in things that we can't see, causing joy unspeakable and full of glory. We've got a deposit of God's faithfulness on the inside of us when we we receive the new birth and what Jesus did for us. Folks, it's a restoration to what Adam had. Now, the difference between us and Adam is that Adam had no experience with sin before these things were deposited in him. And we do. So there's a difference in flesh. Between Adam and between us. Compared to us. But there's no difference in spirit. You've got the presence of God on the inside of you. You've got all the attributes of God on the inside of you in a measure. Now These things can be developed and grown and strengthened and should be. But the deposit is there. The Bible talks about we have the earnest of the Holy Spirit, the down payment or the deposit of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Well, the Holy Spirit is God, isn't it? How could it be anything other than God's characteristics? You've got a measure of the faith that created the world. You've got a measure. Of the faith that Jesus said would move mountains. You've got a measure of every characteristic there is of God. Every characteristic, every good thing, every desirable quality is of God, and there's a deposit of that on the inside of you. Every one of them. Every one. Remember what Romans 12, verse 3 said, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The words of himself are in italics, which means the translator has added it. Certainly we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But he's saying not to think of anything more highly than we ought to think. And of course he's talking about reasonings and imaginations and other high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. He's talking about let the knowledge of God as revealed by the word of God be the final authority for what you think about. Verse 2, he's just talked about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, when we renew our minds, it means we accept what God's word says no matter what we see or what we feel or how we feel. But to think soberly, not move with emotion think soberly what the god's word says and accept that to be the final authority in our lives. So then he says, we shouldn't think more highly than we ought to think about anything, ourselves included, but anything else. But to think soberly, as god has dealt to every man the measure of faith. What is Paul trying to get across? I think he's trying to get across the same thing Jesus described in Mark chapter 11. I think he's trying to tell us by the Holy Ghost. There's nothing that's too hard for us. All things are possible to him that believes. Because we're operating on the same level or in the same characteristic, I should say, as God himself. You've got a measure of the God kind of faith. You've got a measure of the faith that created the world. Now, let me ask you this, folks and I don't want to get too heady about this thing so that we miss the truth but think with me for a minute what does God believe in? himself when God said let there be light when God said let the dry land appear and the, and the fish in the sea be created and all this other kind of stuff when God through the, went through the steps of creation as recorded in the Bible what do he believe in? He's not looking to somebody higher than him to make good on what he says. He's the top of the food chain. What's he believe? The Bible says we have the same spirit of faith as God. We believe and we speak. What does God believe in? God believed that his words will come to pass because that's the way he set the world up to work and God shows his eternal intent in everything he said let, let there be he's believing in his words now I know the, the uh, example in the analogy breaks down here because we've got the devil as our hindrance God doesn't have any hindrance The devil's never been a problem for God. When the devil rebelled and took a third of the angels, God kicked him out of heaven like that. There was not some mighty struggle that God somehow prevailed. Lucifer was a created being. And he found out just how powerful he was when he rebelled against God. One of the things that uh, has always grabbed my attention in the Gospels is when the times where Jesus would come upon somebody that was demon-possessed, and they'd cry out, and almost every time they cried out pretty much the same thing about Jesus, have you come to torment us before the time? What dawned on me some years back is that first and foremost on the devil's mind, these fallen forces evil spirits first and foremost on their mind is their time that's coming and they were concerned that Jesus being on the earth would accelerate that time accelerate their end being cast into the lake of fire I think when we get to heaven and it'd be great if we learned this before we got there but I think when we get to heaven it's going to be sad but kind of funny too that Christians all over the world are going to find out that they were running from the devil when his main focus was not us but his destruction as promised by God. We're concerned about somebody that knows that they're about to bite it big time The Bible says in the Old Testament that there will come a time when we'll look on Satan and we'll be amazed and we'll say, is this the guy that caused so much trouble? Is this the one that wrecks such havoc on the earth? When we see him for who he really is, we come to realize that there's nothing to be afraid of. When we realize the authority that we have, even though the devil may bring things and maybe, maybe he even prolongs trouble and difficulties and so forth, but the word's still true. We have a measure of the God kind of faith, the faith that created the universe. And God knows that that deposit, though not fully matured, That deposit of faith, his faith, can be developed and can grow, can be cultivated so that we always have sufficient power to overcome anything and everything the devil does. How would God be fair and how would God, the Bible says that God is interested in us putting his enemy on the run. He left us here on the earth to show the power of the new birth and to show the power of the word and to show the power of the name of Jesus. That's the reason he left us here, folks. He left us here after being saved so that we could demonstrate the victory of the cross over anything and everything the devil does now how fair would it be of God to not give us enough power for whatever the devil does it's like God is choosing equipment for us as his new children to do battle with his mortal enemy Satan the Bible talks about Satan having fiery darts but he's given us Real firepower. And since God wants you to win, and He does, He wants us to win in every aspect, in every trial, in every test, in every circumstance. Since He wants us to win, He didn't say anything about it being a fair fight. He's giving us space age weapons when the devil's got an arrow. He's ensured your victory, folks. That's why the Bible says things like, there is no temptation, difficulty, test, trial, or affliction that's taken you but such as is common unto man. And God has made a way for you to escape every fiery dart of the enemy, every attack, every hindrance. He's given us more than enough to overcome and to win. That's why John wrote to the church And said you've overcome them. Talking about evil spirits in the world. He said you've overcome them. Because of the presence of God. The life of God on the inside of you. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. This faith which comes supernaturally. From feeding on the word of God. Is more than sufficient. To bring you out of any trouble you encounter. And to set you on high. As the victor, you've got a measure of the God kind of faith. You've got a measure of the faith that created the universe. You've got the same faith that Jesus did. Now, I believe he was a little bit more highly developed than us. But when the Bible says we're joint heirs with Christ, it doesn't mean we're as spiritually mature, but it does mean we've got the same spiritual equipment to do with as we choose. Have faith in God. For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. You can have what you say, folks. You can have what you say. Therefore, our mouths should be fountains of goodness and blessing we should be speaking continuously about healing and health sufficiency and abundance peace and joy we should recognize that even because we're still in this world even though the devil attacks us it's just temporary because we know how he is overcome We know how to put him to flight. We know that the words of our mouths can change things. I was listening to um, a recent message by Rick Renner, a good friend of ours, who pastors a church in Moscow. And he's uh, um, one of the best Greek scholars of anybody I've ever met. And he talks about how that In James chapter 1, when it says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, test trials and afflictions. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. He talked about that word patience meaning endurance. He went back over to this word prove in uh, uh, Romans 12, 3. Talking about proving, or verse 2, I guess it is where we prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And he brought out the meanings of those Greek words in such a way that he said it's not a matter of if you win. It's just a matter of when it appears. That's the endurance of the patience. Which Paul wrote to the church and said, you have need of patience after you've done the word that you might receive or obtain the promise he talked about faith and patience together being the victorious sequence that when the devil brings problems to us or against us the devil wants to find out what we're made of he wants to find out just how serious we are about believing the word and confessing the word but thank God because of the power of the word that's in us Because of the deposit that God's made in us when he changed us. Made us new creatures. New species of beings. That victory is just a matter of time. And that's what the devil always tries to bother us about, isn't it? Time. The devil seems to have the... Well, he knows better than this. He wants us to think that a delay means there's something wrong. A delay means we're not really in faith or a delay means that our faith isn't going to work because of some sin in our life or unworthiness on our part. But folks, the unworthiness part is long gone. We were unworthy and that's why Jesus gave himself for us. But ever since we've been born again, we're worthy because of who saved us, not because of what we do. It's impossible for there to be an unworthy Christian because God doesn't measure based on whether you fall fall or stumble. God measures based on who's inside you. God measures by who saved you. So victory's already won. And we have weapons in this warfare we're in that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. If we ever learn to conquer our minds, we ever learn to conquer our thoughts and bring every thought into obedience, captivity to the word of God, then there'll never be a time, never be a time when we don't win. God has stacked the deck so much against the devil then all it takes is for us to hold fast the profession of our faith. Amen. That's all there is to it. Now that's easier said than done in many cases. But it works every time. You've got a measure of the faith that created the universe. Brother Hagen used to have us say that when he'd teach along these lines. It's something that he did starting as a teenager I guess but he'd just have us confess I've got a measure of the faith that created the world now folks what that means is God's word that created the world is more powerful and more sure than the world the world will change if your words don't the world will change if your confession holds true The world will change. The circumstances that are coming against us will change if we'll hold fast the profession of our faith. The things that are subject to change are not God's word. The things that are subject to change are the created things of this earth. The the very things that the devil uses to attack us. Those can't help but change. Change. When they come face to face with the truth of the word of God coming out of our mouths. We've got a measure of the God kind of faith. The same faith that created the world, the worlds, the universe. We've got a measure of that. Amen. Amen. Well, let's close with a confession. You ready? I'm ready. Say this after me. I have, I have a measure of the God kind of faith. I have a measure of the faith that created the world. God's word in my mouth is greater than any circumstance or trouble or test that I will ever encounter. And as I hold fast, the profession of my faith, circumstances change. Just as the fig tree dried up overnight, the circumstances that come against me wither and dry up because I have a measure of the faith of God. Well, if that ever dawned on us, if that ever really became something that we see from our hearts, or let's say it this way. When that becomes real to us, the devil has nowhere to go. He has nothing else to use against us. We have a measure of the faith of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what you've deposited, deposited in us. We thank you, Father, that we have a measure of the God kind of faith, the faith that created the worlds. We thank you, Father, that victory is assured and completed because of Jesus' sacrifice. So all that's left for us is to hold fast our profession of faith. And we'll do that because we know you are faithful who promised. Thank you, Father, that the devil is defeated and the victory is ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.